Hello, and welcome to Chat AF, the Anime Feminist Podcast. I'm Peter Fobian, the podcast editor, and this is part two of our double-sized Sex Ed 120% podcast. Uh, so give the first half a listen if you haven't, and I'll hand things over to Dee, Alex, and Vry. So circling back to kind of the overarching, you know, central conflict of this series, which is that Suji wants to teach outside the textbook and then kind of gets told she can't. And so she winds up really having these, it seems like she's having, some of these conversations take place like in their health class because you see some of the other girls, but some of them take place like after school. Like she almost starts like a sex ed club almost with uh, with the the three girls who, and then eventually Moria's girlfriend. Um, and it follows, you know, all of their their different school uh school happenings going forward um but there is sort of that that central thing at the beginning where she comes in she comes in hard and then shows up in the second chapter like yeah they're making me teach from the textbook now so let's just talk about our changing bodies or whatever (laughs) um so i did kind of want to spend some time talking about this series in context because i figure folks at home might not be like fully up to date on the on what sex ed looks like in japan um you know i mean just to kind of start us off the the series is very clearly well researched and most of what i you know pretty much everything i found like meshes with what you see in the series um but it doesn't necessarily go like deep into the history so i thought i thought maybe we could talk about that for a little bit if you all are cool with this plan go ahead okay it's all about the education we are here to learn that's right um this is this is also a sex ed class (laughs) Uh, in its own way. So uh, my sources are multitude and I am not going to try to cite all of them on this podcast because that would be five minutes later kind of deal. Um, But just as kind of sort of my, what was my solid like overview starting point that I jumped off from was a Nippon article. So Nippon.com, it was called Misplaced Modesty Hampers Sex Education in Japan Schools. And it was from 2019. Uh, That was my starting point. I spiraled out into some other places. So everything I say in the next little bit might not exactly be in that article, but that was where I started from. So we'll just cite that one to start. Um, So a very brief overview of the history of sex ed in Japan. Um, Up until the 1990s, it was pretty much like slow progression. Like there was very much like this focus on like purity education post-World War II, you know, heteronormative, wholesome thought, sex equals reproduction and it's your family duty and all that. Um, but then from like the sixties and on and, and, you know, gradually over the decades into the nineties, there was a push to bring in more, you know, physical elements talking about genitalia development and the functions and all that kind of stuff. And then a more comprehensive approach. So, you know, social aspects, gender roles, things like that, um, consent, assault, those sort of topics. Um, so up until the 1990s, like sex ed in Japan was on, was, more or less on par with where it needed to be in comparison to the rest of the world. So obviously not perfect, but, but getting, but, you know, giving people a a decent full picture of what was going on. Uh, And then we get to 2003. Enter Koga Toshiaki, a Tokyo Metropolitan Assembly member. Everybody boo this man. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. So what happened was there was a, uh, a special support school in Tokyo, the Nanao school. So uh, effectively like a special ed school. So for kids with mental disabilities, um, my understanding is it went up through high school. Um, the teachers there got together with the parents um, and tried to figure out, cause shock and awe, um, every, <laughs> a lot of kids, uh, you know, as, as they start to get old, they start to become interested in sexuality. So they got together with the parents and tried to figure out ways that they could explain and, you know, um, teach the kids about like safe sex and contraception and pregnancy and all that stuff. Um, so they come up with a, a system that involves like 
little puppets and songs. And apparently, like, the people within the district itself were pretty happy with this. Uh, this Tokyo Metropolitan Assembly member, uh, to- K- Koga Toshiaki, boo this man, uh, was... Uh, hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, he got... He walked in, saw this, said it was completely inappropriate. How dare they? This is not what this is not what these kids should be taught. And there was this huge backlash. A bunch of teachers lost their jobs. The principal was demoted. Um, the faculty and the parents fought back against it. Took the case to court. As with off with, as with a lot of court cases, it took forever. But they actually did win the case in 2013. That like nothing they were like what they were doing was appropriate to the the kids' levels and didn't and it like didn't necessarily match like the national guidelines, but it was it was necessary for like it it worked for them right um so they won the case but as is the case with a lot of paper terrorism uh the fact that this happened at all scared the hell out of teachers and school boards like across the country and sex ed really started to stagnate after that and it never really recovered um so what you have the sort of resulting curriculum from this is um the ministry of so they're called mext so mex it's the ministry of like Education, culture, sports, social, it's its a really long name, but it's, it's the Ministry of Education in Japan. Um, they set some nat- natural, national guidelines that local boards of education could adjust. So somewhat similar to the U.S. in terms of like there's some localization flexibility there. Um, and they also, teachers don't technically have to teach everything. Like they can skip over stuff if they don't feel comfortable about it, which is that's another conversation. Um, but there are very specific guidelines about like what you can teach at each level. And that's a lot of the time where schools will get into trouble is because they'll be like, you shouldn't be teaching about sexual intercourse until high school. And the teacher's like, yeah, but some of our junior high kids are having it. So what do we want to do about that? Um, so you run into, you run into that. Uh, most of the textbooks are outdated and very conservative. Um, one of my favorite pages is its body models about like, as your body grows, how it changes. Y'all, every model on this page is fully clothed. (laughs) Right. Okay. (laughs) So, so wrap your head around the, the, the people in t-shirts and pants and it being like, this is how your body changes. It's like, looks, looks taller, I guess. (laughs) Um, I guess the masculine model has some stubble on its face. I, I, I don't know what I'm looking at here. There's and there there will be like a lot of like lifetime like lifestyle scenarios in them that tended to you know promote like the breadwinner husband housewife gender norms. Um, pretty obviously, the queer spectrum was like completely ignored. And then one of the big issues is like conversations about like consent and what even constitutes sexual assault are just avoided, just not talked about. Um, so there's there's a you know a big issue with people not necessarily even knowing like. The idea that like sexual assault has to be violent and it doesn't, so you you run into you run across issues with that along the way. Um, teachers are also given very little, if any, professional development. So you run into a lot of situations where the teachers are either not comfortable teaching the material or they just don't know enough to feel like they can really help their students. Um, and I read a really interesting survey from 2021. So this this is held through to today. Um, and they only interviewed like five teachers, so obviously this is not we can't really generalize this to like every teacher in Japan. Um, but they did talk about how they wished there was more professional development because there were things they, they, they felt like the textbooks didn't cover that they wanted to know more about. Um, and one of the big ones that a lot of, a few of them mentioned was sexuality and gender. So clearly this is becoming a, a conversation within the schools that the teachers want to help their kids with. And they don't have the resources because the guidelines at the, at the national and, and school and district levels or ward levels is probably the, the appropriate word in Japan just are not there. 
Uh, the argument for this, for why sex ed should be limited, is kind of the same one we hear in the States, is that if you teach sex, it will promote sex among the students. Um, the quote is waking the sleeping child, which also actually shows up in my lesbian experience with loneliness, where she jokes like, yeah, they don't want to wake the sleeping child, but that child is already awake. <laughs> and this to me sounds, a, a lot of what I'm saying probably sounds extremely familiar to folks in the U.S., especially if you grew up in a more conservative community. Surprise Pikachu face, y'all. It doesn't work. Uh, in 2015, 2016, that was the, the most recent study I could find. Uh, there's been a there's been a rise in STDs, a rise in teens' pregnancies and abortions, and a general lack of awareness about the HPV vaccine. Um, again, surprise Pikachu face that not teaching about sex didn't stop people from having it. It just stopped them from having it responsibly. So, and then one more story about Toshiaki Koga. Boo this man. Boo. Thank you. Uh, 2018, this asshole shows up again. So we went from 2003 to 2018, like a bad penny. Here he is again in my research. Um, the Adachi ward in Tokyo was teaching about sex, contraception, and pregnancy and abortion uh, to junior high school seniors. So ninth graders, basically. Um, this is not supposed to be taught until high school. Here's a great quote from one of the articles I read. It was permissible to discuss present prevention of STDs, but you could not discuss intercourse, birth control, or abortion. Hmm. So we can talk about STDs, but not like what causes or can prevent them. So Toshiaki makes a big stink about them teaching this too early for it to be like appropriate for students. Uh, the ward's reasoning for this was that they polled their students and 44% of them said it was okay to have sex in high school. So they were, they were like, we need to educate them before they get to high school. So they have the tools in their toolbox to, you know, responsibly have sex in high school. I also feel like I have to bring this up. Adachi is one of the poorest wards in Tokyo. So it is high risk. And the school's goal was to help their students promote safe sex because, you know, things like teen pregnancies are one of the reasons why poverty can continue to cycle forward into future generations. I like to point this out because you will notice that this absolute asshole, Toshiaki, boo this man. Boo. Thank you. Went after a special needs school and one of the poorest schools in this in the city. So he is he is intentionally going after like at-risk marginalized students and that is that exceptionally pisses me off. Um, the ones who are who are maybe the schools that are maybe perhaps least equipped to fight back. And the Board of Education on this one agreed with him and said that if you need to teach it earlier, then it should be done on an individual basis, because that sounds like a great plan. Hmm. So that is that is where it has continued to be. In 2019, Kyoto News reported that in a, in a poll, 40% of students said sex ed classes were useless. <laughs> and mostly, they mostly got their information from websites and then friends and then social media. Some of the guidelines have been revised slightly in recent years. There's also been a push from some teachers in certain districts like Tokyo to have some changes in the curriculum. But as far as I can tell, and based on the information within sex at 120%, which again was published in 2020 and 2021, doesn't sound like there's been any like major changes since then. So that's how things are going there. Um, again, not to, not to make it sound like, like I'm, I'm, you know, a, a smug Westerner snubbing my nose at Japan. A lot of that sounds a lot like stuff in the u.s so <laughs> this all sounds very familiar yeah so this is this is you know this is a a global problem in in various nations i'm sure not just our two but uh but it's a lot of a lot of similar issues in terms of thinking that like teaching abstinence only or, or avoiding the subject I, to me i think one of the biggest difference i saw was it feels like 
a lot of American schools, it's very sex negative. Like you get, maybe you get a little bit more information, but it's all kind of geared towards terrifying you. Like, I do think there's more talk about like consent and what assault is and like who you should talk to if, you know, you've been, you know, inappropriately approached or what have you. Whereas in Japan, there does seem to be like an issue of just nobody talks about it. It's just totally silent. One of the quotes I, I, okay, I do want to end on one more quote and then we can, then we can get into the, the manga. This is from the 2021 survey, Teaching Sexuality Education to Secondary Students in Japan. Uh, in Tokyo City Schools, for examples, for example, teachers do not teach the names of sexual organs, talk about sexual intercourse, or introduce the subject of condoms. Furthermore, there is one school in which not even menstruation is taught because teachers are afraid of being criticized. So it's, it's that, it's that paper terrorism again, where, you know, these court cases that don't hold up, maybe they get shot down, but by the time they do, the, the damage has been done. Um, and you, you definitely see that in U.S. school districts as well. You know, some more recent examples would be like the don't say gay legislation in Florida, where you're not supposed to be able to talk about queer relationships like at all in schools. A lot of the recent complaints in cases about critical race theory, where basically, I mean, none of this really holds water, but if you flood the district with enough complaints in court cases, they get scared and just stop teaching it because they can't afford to fight all these cases. It's not great. Um, so sex at 120%, if it feels like a breath of fresh air for English speaking readers, it also probably almost certainly felt that way for Japanese readers as well. The series is doing something that I would call important, maybe imperfectly at times, but it is, it is going hard on topics that are ignored in schools and saying, hey, we should teach this. This is important. These teenagers, these are topics that they are aware of and have questions about, and we need to make sure they get the correct information. So that's where sex at 120% is coming from. And I think, I don't know, it has a great uh, rebellious spirit to it, knowing mm-hmm. that it's in that social context, which, you know, it's, it's just fun bit of edutainment, but it's like, oh my gosh, no, this is a very, <laughs> this is, you know, it is all of that, but it is also genuinely a very, I don't know, uh, transgressive text in a lot of ways, yeah. which is, I don't know, makes it kind of all the more ironic that it's being wrapped in plastic and kind of shelved away <laughs> when it comes to, um at least to US bookstores. Because... You know, that info needs to get out there. It's obviously scaring people. I uh, I, I affectionately term this series the perfected Azumangadayo uh, because the girls <laughs> very remind me. And, you know, there's no creepy teacher. And also, you know, the the teachers are dating just like we always secretly knew. I always secretly knew in my heart uh, that Miss Yukari was dating um, her girlfriend. Mm-hmm. The yeah, like like we've sort of said before, it doesn't have much in the way of plot. But what does end up tying it together is this. I thought quite sweet and you know surprisingly like I don't know nuanced and not you know nuanced and sort of complicated. Uh, yeah, the whole through line about Suji suddenly she's someone getting advice from her students and they're encouraging her to come out as bi and live her authentic self and go for it and ask the the school nurse out. Which is cute, but also, yeah, I don't know, I found it interesting as well that it doesn't just uh, have them running off into the sunset together at the end. It has that quite, you know, sort of, um, I don't know, they have a mature conversation together as adults, be like, I don't know if this is going to work, I don't want to ruin our professional relationship, I don't know if that's how I identify, I've been thinking about mm-hmm. it, but, you know, like, I don't know, the the ending of it and that sort of relationship arc was another interesting sort of refreshing detail to me, because um, it could have been easy to just be like, and the teachers are dating curtain falls everybody go home remedy use a dental dam um <laughs> but you know, it added that, you know, that little extra little bit of refreshing nuance 
that uh, the conversation where Suji talks about being bi is another one of my favorite moments in the series because she's she's so confident about well y- yes I've I've mainly dated women in my life but I know because I just know and you wouldn't question this you know mm-hmm. if it, it were a uh, a gay or a straight person mm-hmm. it's nice I think one of the series' strengths um, in addition to as you know as hard as it goes well and you know we absolutely have to talk about the way it handles like pregnancy and abortion and contraceptions and things on this episode. But I think in terms of the way it talks about and handles sexuality and sexual orientation is exceptionally good of, of the, of the, you know, the things it does well. I think that's very high on the list because you do get a pretty wide variety of people, which allows them to kind of have these different discussions. So like, you know, Suji is bi. And so Suji is able to talk about um, some of the, about, you know, the exclusion that, folks in the bi community face from other members of the queer community. And, you know, she like has that conversation about like, like, yeah, people think I'm a fake bisexual because I've never actually dated a man, but I have been attracted to men. So I know I'm bi. And I have, Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a lot of bi friends who are, you know, in the same situation where it was like, maybe they just didn't date a lot growing up or, you know, and they ended up, you know, I I have some, some uh, girl friends who ended up marrying guys and but they're like but i i am bisexual i'm attracted to women if this mm-hmm. if something were to happen in this relationship which i'm very happy with this man but like i could absolutely see myself dating a woman like that is 100 percent on the table and having awkward conversations with their families about like oh so does that mean you're breaking up with your boyfriend no that's not what that means yeah. <laughs> and but then you know you also have moria and aikawa who are who are, who are lesbians. Like they are, they are, you know, pretty, pretty open about like only interested in women full stop. Um, and then, and then you also have uh, Kashiwa who is, it would have been nice to get like one more ace character because mm. um, it's, it's nice to have characters who are ace and aromantic and then characters who are not. Um, I like, I like that variety. Um, but it, it's, it's nice to see a series that is about, that is so much about sex and sexuality be like, yeah, but also that's not what everybody's into. Some people just want to, you know, cuddle their cats and 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 read up on biology. And I, mm-hmm. I like to think that Kashi was the secret hero of the story. Tsuji is the protagonist, <laughs> but Kashi was the hero um, <laughs> because she's so focused on like I want to make sure that you know everyone in the school that she's she's so accepting of everybody immediately, which is really sweet. And then um, you know her the sort of culmination of the story is the biology club. Um, putting on this big presentation about sexuality and gender specifically because she wants everyone in the school to feel comfortable and accepted and like, you know, they have a place here. Um, and I thought that was, that was a really, a really sweet touch tone to end the series on. And especially having it come from an ACE character where the series does talk about like ACE exclusion with also, you know, by an ACE exclusion within the, um, within the queer community. So mm-hmm. uh, Kash, Kashi was a nice girl. The kitty bits at the beginning are hilarious, by the way. So <laughs> when they- good. my my one nitpick is that they talk about asexuality but not aromanticism and those are not always necessarily the same thing well in my experience that's a little bit of a cultural difference where yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's and that's fair enough like i was you know they they began to discuss her you know as this character who was not really interested in sex in the beginning and that was enough for me initially Mm -hmm. i was it's fantastic that's amazing but then it like used the word asexuality and had the flag and talked about ace exclusion and different expectations i was like oh my god this is so much more than i you know i would have been happy with the one little you know the one little sandwich they handed me in the first volume a volume Mm -hmm. had like a buffet in front of me (laughs) it was really nice yeah and and the moment where she talks about like oh 
people telling me I'm just immature. Like, you know, they, they all kind of talk about like, oh, you're just, you're just confused. It's just a phase. And she's like, yeah, people tell me, oh, I'm just immature. And I'm like, yeah, I remember those conversations. And um, I didn't have the word ace in my memory at, at the time, but no, like, yeah. yeah, I remember that. I didn't learn about any of that stuff till I was in my early twenties, maybe, you know, um, and I, but I liked as well that, you know, she has that conversation with one or both of the girlfriends where they're like, yeah, we, we get the same stuff, you know, a version of it. You know, people will tell you, oh, don't worry, you'll find a nice boy and you'll change your mind. People tell the lesbians that as much as they tell the asexuals. So they had that, like, you know, that, that solidarity established, yeah. um, which was really nice. Yeah, despite the, I mean, the series addresses, like, it acknowledges, you know, some of the, some of the exclusions and prejudices, like, within the queer community, which I always love that. Our Dreams at Dusk does that as well, and I think that, I think that adds a level of nuance that makes it feel like the story was maybe written in a sort of an own voices. Not that it 100% has to, but it, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's always that overarching conversation about, you know, liberation and acceptance, but then there are also like these more interior conversations that need to happen within the community. And so I I like it when series do touch on that, but I also love that it acknowledges that, but we don't actually see that with any of these, with any of the characters, right? They're all very much like solidarity. They find, they find different things to bond on. I mean, even Matsuda who, you know, says pretty early on, like, I like boys, but I'm not really interested in dating right now. Like even she has some moments where she's like, oh, okay. I can totally like understand where you're coming from or there's not mm-hmm. that that sense of like oh that's weird or anything. Even Nakazawa at the end when Suji when Suji confesses is like I'm by by the way I have a crush on you. She's not like horrified. She's just kind of curious. She's like, can I ask you some questions about that? And Suji's like, mm-hmm. yeah, go for it. So you know, throughout the series, like it it acknowledges those wider issues, but the story itself exists in a very uh, in a very warm and welcoming world, which is which is really nice to see. Yeah, it, it strikes a nice balance between. Uh, you know, like you know, addressing realities you might come across, but also like giving these characters and the people who might identify with them permission to romanticize their experiences as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and I did just swing back real quick as we talked about it and then move very quickly past it. Um, for folks who may not be aware, um, the term asexual in Japan often is used as an umbrella term for asexuality and aromanticism. Um, you will still see, like, I mean, uh, Recently, we've started to get some manga about ace characters, which is terrific. Um, you will still see some characters who are ace, but maybe not aromantic. Um, I don't think I've ever run into a series that, like, a character was explicitly aromantic, but not asexual. Hmm. That is the less, that's the less common combo, um, certainly, and from, you know, across all media. Um, yeah, But hey, as definitely. a fun, you know, to add to our list of citations, the, uh, the blog Coherent Cats recently, time of recording, put out a big uh, sort of master list of new series uh, with asexual characters in it, including talking about this one we are talking about. So hey, check that one out if you are interested in more yeah, resources. Yeah, yeah, Good, good plug. Um, yeah, so, but because of that, because the term does tend to be used as sort of an umbrella in Japan, like the character coming out as asexual in this, like there might have been an understanding from like audience members that it meant both. Like it can mean both. It can, it's sort of an and, or like there's some fuzziness there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's true with, that's true with, with various um, terminology as well. You know, X gender can be, you know, gender queer by gender, a gender, like it's, it's got a, uh, sort of a big umbrella too as far as like non-binary identity goes mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean uh, yeah so. and it was it was something not a criticism of the story it was like the one you know, again from the perspective that I have it's the one yeah, thing yeah, yeah. I've changed but understanding of course it's amazing yeah. that it's there and if it you know umbrella terms are great I love them they're very useful um and yeah it's inviting people under that umbrella it's saying hey it's nice under here come check it yeah. out if you're interested which yeah, is nice. again 
Fantastic. Again, if you were reading this and this is the first time you have come across this concept, I think it would be mind-blowing. And I think it, you know, yeah, Mm -hmm. it introduces this in a very naturalised and a very nurturing kind of way that is, like, so important, no matter how you Mm -hmm. identify. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I just, I think that's one of the main things that really pleasantly surprised me about the series. As well, Mm -hmm. of course, it's frankness with all the reproductive um, sort of stuff, which I believe we're kind of gonna gonna get yeah. into. Suji looking dead at the camera and saying that reproductive rights are your are are your human right, and people you might have complicated feelings about it, but you don't need to like feel guilty about it at all. And shaking her students was so nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna ask y'all this because I can't think I can think of a couple some manga and anime that have touched that where abortion has maybe come up. And maybe has been presented somewhat neutrally, but most of the time it's presented pretty negatively. And I can't think of a, a scenario where it was presented as like um, explicitly, this is an okay thing to do as this series. Like, is that something you've ever come across before? Not that's coming to mind. Honestly, yeah. I'm, I've got a fairly short list of, of uh, American media even. Also, are- yes positive about that which you know shout out to shrill the sadly canceled too soon show for having the character get an abortion and it and being okay with it in the first episode first episode wow yeah, yeah. Wow. It, it took crazy ex-girlfriend a couple of seasons but they also they also did a um okay an arc about it as well that was very much like yeah no that was that was the right decision for this person in this moment so mm. um which I, I... You know, I appreciate it when it shows up but it's very rare yeah, I can't think. There's maybe like a, you know, a fantasy series I can think of has like a you know a very sort of abstract metaphorical possible abortion kind of thing going on, but in terms of actual realism, I can't think of any examples that I've come across for sure. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I have I don't. I'm mostly a fan of classic shoujo, so. I, that seems like the most likely place where it would be talked about is shoujo or uh, contemporary Jose. Yeah, but... no, that's true. It comes up in Nana and is relatively neutral. I don't want to give too many spoilers. Um, she eventually de- she she decides not to terminate the pregnancy. So like I can't necessarily describe it as a series where like you know it happens and it is depicted as a you know um, an okay thing to have happened. But it's not necessarily presented as like oh what a what a terrible thing how dare you kind of kind of thing either it, it's very neutral in its presentation but otherwise like i couldn't think of any other examples that were worth mentioning so i was i was really impressed with that chapter i was also kind of horrified to learn more specifics about the way abortion works in japan did y'all have that as well like like the cost uh-huh. and then like legal requirements after the first trimester yeah all of that was i mean it made me feel a bit guilty as well because i realized i don't actually know that much about how it works where i'm from um sure, yeah aside from you know uh my, my one mini brush with it was having to get a morning after pill once which was fine and simple but expensive for the time but you know but otherwise i'm like i don't i don't know if someone asked me for you know for help or for resources i would have to really do a lot of research i felt you know it has kind of inspired me to be like i need to get across this sort of stuff um yeah and make sure that it's information that is accessible because it's such a, a practical thing that should be destigmatized. You should just you should just have that information on hand and be able to just go do it. Um, so yeah, so certainly that chapter was fascinating. Um, and yeah, learning about yeah the expense and I think needing need like if you're under eighteen, needing parental permission was that as well, or I'm mixing that with something else. 
Correct me if I'm wrong, Dee. I think that's certainly true in the U.S. Uh, parental permission? It depends. Like everything. Yeah, it's very state by state. And I didn't, I didn't spend quite as much time on on abortion laws for this one as I did, like just kind of overarching sex ed history type stuff. Mm-hmm. So I can't give you more specifics beyond it depends. Yeah, um, I get, we can reasonably assume, based on your previous research, that it's not uh, something that's widely known and widely taught. Oh no, this is this is a hundred percent true. And I mean, and there are, you know, I mean, part of the reason we're having this podcast is uh, the fight for reproductive rights is ongoing here, and there are, you know, um. There are a lot of places where it's functionally illegal, even if it's not technically illegal, because they've just figured out ways to shut down as many clinics as they possibly can, mm. or limit it to the first trimester only, or, you know, God, sometimes even like the first six weeks or something absurd like that. So yeah, it, it depends on the state. Some states, it's it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. You you know, there's probably a clinic nearby, and you go and you, it, it's done basically. Um, and then other states, it is uh, not that simple, and I would imagine quite expensive in some places as well. So um, cost mm-hmm. was a thing that popped up a few times in this where I definitely kind of marked that as a note of like, oh, so this is prohibitive towards people. Uh, it's not yes. necessarily covered under health insurance, which, you know, Japan does have a public, does have public health insurance that covers not a hundred percent, but a decent chunk of um, medical expenses. But apparently uh, these procedures are not covered within it, which is kind of fucked up. Especially like the, like you said, the morning after pill being expensive was mm-hmm. frustrating to me because that's such a simple and straightforward thing and should yeah. just be readily available. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, you know, it was one of those things where we need series like these, well, we need schools to teach it, but we need series like these in every country so you can get also the specifics of, of how it works. So you have that, that information going in. And then, and then, you know, obviously, like, the, I think the main push in this series is because uh, Suji has that quick backstory chapter where she's in high school and she thinks she thinks one of the other girls in school is ostracized because she has an abortion, which turns out to not be the case. Um, but she kind of has that thought of like, man, if people if we'd known each other beforehand, I could have taught her so many cool things about contraception. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so there's very much a you know, there's very much a push in the story of like, if you get pregnant and you do not want to be pregnant, you know, here here is how here is how and how you can get an abortion and that is okay but ideally you don't have to deal with that so here's all these mm-hmm. ways to to you know um make sure that you're you're having safe sex and you have whatever contraception you need like that extensive chapter on on the pill and um iud's and and everything in between which i also thought was really nice to have such a detailed explanation of of birth control as well yeah for sure and even i some of that was kind of a little bit familiar not necessarily from school but certainly conversations i've had with you know my my mom and other women in my family being like hey you can you can take the pill and you can use it to skip your period if you want because i was like what <laughs> is that allowed do i get in trouble they're like no just literally just don't take the sugar pills and you can go on holiday and not have to worry about you know going swimming and stuff i was like yeah. oh that rules um so you know <laughs> just like not even as a contraceptive, just all the quality of life, things like that are super important to get that info across. Yeah. I mean, I was, I mean, I have, I, I am, I am continuously not sexually active and um, I've been on birth control off and on because I get really bad cramps and birth control mm. can help with that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I wasn't, I, I think I got, I think I got on the pill like pretty much as soon as you could, because I was like, I was the, like, I need to go home for the day level of oh, cramps no. when I was in like, yeah, like, early high school so pretty much as soon as I could get on the pill I got on it and it was like yeah I'm not having sex I just need this for other medical purposes so yeah like you said like there's there's other there's other uses for it that um 
it's helpful for people to be aware of. Um, hmm. um, but also, if you want to have it because you want to be able to have sex safe without worrying about it, that is also fantastic. It's it's also great for that. And here are some things you should know about it. Like, you know, make sure you take it every day because of this, that, and the other type stuff. Like, the series covers all that really well. Everyone I knew in high school who was on birth control was definitely on it because of cramps and for no other reasons. <laughs> and I am, I am well aware that that was often you... <laughs> <laughs> as an excuse to get your parents to sign off on it. Um, I don't think my mom would have necessarily cared, but I, but I actually wasn't. Um, it's like that joke about, Oh, I only read playboy for the articles. No, that I actually, I actually was that person. So, um, I know it's, I know it's usually a lie, but it's not this time. I swear. I mean, it's like, you know, it's a classic thing. And just like, yeah, why not both? It doesn't actually matter why you're on it. As long as you yeah. can, you know, g- give, give it to them. Yeah. <laughs> Make it yeah. accessible. And don't ask for the reason. It doesn't matter. It's their, it's their business. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, how about none of your business? <laughs> how about that? This is this is the thing. A thing a podcast host should always say. What's next? No, is there what's um is there a particular topic? Like I said, this series is a grab bag. Like we could go chapter by chapter talking about mm-hmm. it. Um, but was there any subject in particular you wanted to make sure we touched on? Um, we might want to spend a little bit of time on Suji as a teacher. And a human <laughs> with personal boundaries, because I was not so sure about her at the start of the series, right? It sounds like you weren't either. Yeah, I, I guess, like, we should maybe go into that uh, in a little more depth since we touched it at the very beginning. Like I said, after the maybe literally the first two or three chapters, I think the series really evened itself out in terms of both uh, her backing off of, you know, invading other people's boundaries and what they do or aren't comfortable talking about and also with nakazawa you know drawing a a hard line Mm -hmm. but yeah those first two chapters where it's it's just you know hilarious groping because she's just so darn enthused and i was really worried that the series was going to use that as an excuse because you know oh she's just overzealous which makes it okay that she's you know fondling another character but it really doesn't i guess this says something about what i have come to perhaps expect and the low bar I have for like anime comedies that I was just like, oh yeah, that's just what's happening. That kind of sucks, but I'm not, I wouldn't have thought to complain about it necessarily until it improved. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. We don't have to be like this. That's right. <laughs> uh, which is, you know, we can be better manga and we anime. Can we can, better, yeah. We don't have to use sexual harassment for comedy. And, uh, and you know, it's that classic gag, right? Like a character will say something and someone else will be like, that's sexual harassment. And like, you know, comedically slap them or something. And they'll be like, oh, okay, I won't do it again. You know, like that's often there as a joke in a lot of, you know, it's a trope yeah. that we're all familiar. So when that showed up, yeah. I was like, oh yeah. And then I was like, oh wait, no, they're, they're being serious about this. That was an invasive question to ask your, you know, 16 year old students and she's not going to do it again. Oh, Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do appreciate that she learns. And, you know, they have that during the, the chapter about the pickup artist, she kind of has that conversation with Nakazawa, like, oh, God, am I doing the same thing? Like, do I make you as uncomfortable as these guys? And Nakazawa's like, I know you're not objectifying me. Like, it's sort of flirting, but, like, there's some sincerity behind it. And, like, I know you genuinely care about me as a person. So, like, I will let you know when you cross the the line, but overall it doesn't really bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so her her, you know, as the series says, uh, sex ed is an ongoing process that you will you will continue to educate yourself into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And so Suji sort of learning and growing from that, I think, was good. 
Um, as, as a child of teachers, I definitely had some moments in the early chapters where I was like, this is unprofessional. <laughs> Suji, like, I appreciate you. I appreciate you wanting to educate your students on this. And it's really very cool that you brought both condoms and dental dams because that is not a thing that would have happened uh, when I was in school. But you can't ask people these, you can't ask your students like these kinds of personal questions or like just completely unprompted explain to them that, yeah, you totally masturbate. Um, there is, there are, there is a, there is a private and public boundary that Suji crosses and honestly even at the end when she's like telling them about her specific love life like obviously i think teachers should be able to like in passing mention like their partner their spouse their girlfriend boyfriend whatever and like be open about their sexuality in school in terms of like yeah i'm bi or you know you know like like that Mm -hmm. kind of just like Mm -hmm. like identity label but there there's a certain unprofessionalism to be like yeah so hey guys i really like this girl should i ask her out here's our entire situation it's like no they're your (laughs) students that is don't do that suji um and obviously they're they're very sweet and understanding students and um as sex ed 120 percent would remind me this is fiction not reality (laughs) and there is a difference between the two it having that line throughout it probably helps, but yeah, I think I think yeah. as, a, as overall the characters grow. Do you guys think Suji and Nakazawa like date and get together at the end, or do do you think they end up just they end up going back to being friends? I want them to make it though. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like I said, I kind of like how ambiguous it leaves it. That felt mm-hmm. like a nice I don't know drop of realism among the whole like big happy ending kind of go get them teach kind of like finale yeah. I don't know I don't know I don't know it's it's odd to think of them I don't know running off into the sunset and getting married but I like to think that they tried it out and they were successful I don't know see how it goes you know mm-hmm. like again I am a little bit sublimating being like this is all of my Miss Yukari and Yama <laughs> you were connecting it to Azumanga Daio and you're like yes it's finally canon <laughs> Yes. Um, but but really, I do. I think one of the only things we haven't touched on yet a little bit is how much um, or is the, the little bit of Nakazawa's character arc where her main struggle is that she sort of feels these yes. heteronormative uh-huh. expectations on her as she nears 30 and like, well, I, I should be getting married and having a kid. And she just never thought about whether that's what mm-hmm. she wanted. And, and I like that it's kind of a deft touch on that. So like, Maybe they don't work out long term, but I, I sort of really like the slow growth of their relationship. And I feel like it is sort of warm and positive and believable in, in how they sort of slowly grow closer and share interests and like doing yeah, stuff together. Yeah, you know, it's I nice. think, you know, sometimes we, when you talk about the queer umbrella, like questioning is sometimes, you know, is considered one of the, and so it was, it was cool to see a character who actually was that like questioning, like, I'm not sure if I want to have like a romantic relationship with a woman, but I do like you so we can try this out and I can see if it works. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that sort of openness to be like, well, I mean, I I definitely like you like as a person, so maybe we can hang out and go on dates and we'll sort of see where it goes from there. Um, Was nice to see. And you know, right now that you say that um, I'm realizing that, there is a like like we were talking about. Suji has kind of an undercurrent of her sort of growing and learning throughout the story. Um, I think you get a sense of who Nakazawa is and that sense of her feeling trapped throughout the story as well, because like the lessons where she's more likely to chime in or get sort of passionate tend to be about like heteronormative expectations, right? Like like she gets more involved in like the conversations about consent and assault, and they have that whole conversation at the beach about pickup artists. 
And so I think that, you know, when you get that moment at the end where she's like, yeah, I just always figured in my late 20s, I'd get married. Like that was the path set out before me that was always going to be my path. And I just never thought about what other roads there might be for me. Um, I think you can see that in in her character as like something she was frustrated about without maybe acknowledging it with her frustrations with gender norms and um, especially like, you know, more like how women are treated in society sort of uh, topics. So Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a slow burn and sort of a subtle undercurrent with her character, but her, her coming to that Suji coming to a moment at the end where she feels comfortable, like coming out with her personal, with these like, you know, personal, like emotional feelings and then Nakazawa feeling comfortable, you know, trying, trying a different path than the one that had been, that has been prescribed, like the, the heteronormative expectations for her they both make it to good like stopping points in their journey. And so it kind of makes sense for them to be able to move forward from here and whatever that relationship ends up meeting. But yeah, no, you said that and I was like, Oh yeah, I guess that is something that we've sort of seen with Nakazawa really from the start. Um, And it just sort of becomes explicit at the end. And it makes a nice um, contrast as well that like the one established relationship in the beginning is the two lesbians. Mm -hmm. You have that, you have a spectrum then of, you know, yeah. Relationships between, between women. Um, yeah, and, and those and, you know, there's there's something to be said for how you know the the kids have it figured out. The kids of the future, <laughs> um, and maybe it's the adults who are still learning. And I don't know something mm-hmm. where that's kind of fun. Yeah, the the sort of generational gap and how you know the younger generation is is more open to to queerness, both in terms of sexuality and gender. And so yeah, having those those characters from the start. And but you know, I mean, even they still have like concerns about coming out, and they talk about feeling like they can't talk about their crushes at like yeah, summer camps yeah. and things like that. Um, but then they do come out and, you know, everyone, again, it's one of those series that acknowledges that there are some real world prejudices that maybe don't exist within the, um, the comfy spaces of the, the comedy series itself, which mm-hmm. it's nice. It's nice to have those safe spaces, I think. And that is very much what Suji's class becomes for, for the kids, I think. <laughs> Accidentally makes like a, a queer alliance club kind of, you know. She kind of does, right? Like, yeah, it very much is like the, like the school alliance club, um, culminating in that, in that lovely, that lovely bio project. So. Yeah. Which is just, yeah. Cause it's, I mean, it's a series that could have kind of just kept going indefinitely as it comes up mm-hmm. with new topics to cover, but I don't know, they wrapped it up nicely. I think it makes it nice and accessible to, you know, to purchase. It's just a little trilogy. You can mm-hmm. pick up, um, you know, it's only three books to tear the plastic wrap off. You know, <laughs> in, the, in the bookstore when you're sneaking by. I was going to say, if you go to one of the bookstores Vry's been to, the plastic will all be, already be torn off for you. So there you go. Save yourself some time. <laughs> Something has happened here. Touch the ground. <laughs> Direct action. That's right. You know, that was that was another point that, sorry, that, now that you've said that, that, that is the other kind of final note in the story, right, is like, education is good, action actually creates change, which mm-hmm. I thought was an important point for the series to end on with, you know, Suji going, okay, I've been teaching my kids all about, you know, like accepting yourself and uh, sexual sexuality positivity and body positivity and all this good stuff, but I haven't been able to do that myself and I need to kind of kind of uh, walk the walk a little bit and lead by example. And then, and then the kids putting the big bio projects together to like, you know, ripple effect that out to the rest of the school so that the rest of the school can can learn about these things i thought that was a really nice capstone on it too that it was like it was like obviously the learning is essential but then there's a next step to it and that's Mm -hmm. that's the step that our characters are are in the process of taking 
you know, educate yourself and then, and then volunteer, I guess, you know, spread, spread the joy, spread what, Mm -hmm. take what you have learned and bring it to other people who may also need it. You know, that, that ripple effect. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So that was, that was another really great point that I, that I was happy it ended on to, to kind of in a, in a way connect the, you know, the, here's what we learned today, kids. Now here's how you can use it. Um, Which Mm -hmm. I think is, is an, is an important bridge point um, for, edutainment style series like these uh, series Mm -hmm. that I would say have a message that they are trying to get out, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a nice little series. And I really hope that we get an anime of it because by its nature, anime tends to reach so many more people. And I think if you did 10 minute Mm -hmm. shorts of these, it would be a really, yeah. I think you could, I mean, again, three volumes, it would fit. You could very neatly fit this into a core. Um, So 12, 13 episodes, probably. Um, I think it would be lovely to see that done. Um, and I would want Yamazaki Mitsue to do it because she's a terrific director who should direct all the comedies, <laughs> is my, my yes. personal opinion there. All right, guys. Final question that we ask every episode on Chatty AF. Is this series feminist or not? Don't lie to the people. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. Any newcomers listening to this, we do not ask that question. That question is reductive. Um, fiction is, fiction is complex and so is, and so is feminism. Um, obviously this series touches on a lot of feminist themes and I think has a lot of like progressive ideals at its core, but we, we do not actually ask that question. It's a running, it's a running joke that we do not ask that question or, um, one of the hosts will groan angrily like Rai just did. (laughs) (laughs) The rituals are intricate. (laughs) Yeah. If we ask it, it's usually in jest or to troll somebody else on the call. So, uh, so we will not finish up with that question. I will finish up by saying, do you have any final thoughts? I th- yeah, I think I think it's nice. You know, in in the same way that is this feminist is not a yes or no question. You know, is this good representation is not a yes or no question as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think yeah, it has. But I think it's a pretty good example. Certainly, like I said, the the way it was inclusive of queer experiences, including those that are very underrepresented currently. Um, you know, in media from all around the world, like, yeah, again, bisexuality, asexuality, mentioning that, you know, non-binary exists. That all was a pleasant, real pleasant surprise to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt, yeah, you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just sort of bullet pointed. It was through the lens of these characters you really come to be quite fond of. And I think that's, that's the best way to go about it, you know? Um, so I think, yeah, it's a, it's a really impressive series. It's a really fun little one. And I hope that, yeah, I, I only would have known it existed uh, because Vry mentioned it in, I think, another one of our podcasts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, that's what we got to do. Ripple effect, got to spread the word. So, hey, I hope this encourages some people to go check it out. I think it has a lot to offer. Yeah, that's right. Vry enacted the change in our group by telling us about this series. So, perfect. Yes. Vry, any final <laughs> thoughts from you? Uh, not really. This is a good series. Uh, go read it. Well, there we go. Uh, yeah, get this get this into every library you can, um, because uh, teenagers should be reading this series. I think it would be very helpful. All right, then. I think that's a, I think that's a, a great note to end on, guys. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, go go read Sex at one hundred and twenty percent. That's that's <laughs> final final answer over here. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chatty AF. We hope you had a great time and learned a little something too. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, really wherever you get your podcasts, we're probably hanging out there. Or if you're really feeling fired up from this episode, 
why not head over to patreon.com backslash anime feminist and become a supporter. You can become a member for as little as $1 a month. And for just $5 a month, you get access to the Anifem Discord, as well as monthly bonus podcasts where we recommend titles, discuss genres, and sometimes get into fights about which Pokemon movie is the best. <laughs> you can hear f- more from the entire Anime Feminist team at animefeminist.com on Tumblr at Anime Feminist, and on Twitter at Anime Feminist. We also have a store, AnimeFeminist.com backslash store, where you can find cute and cool merch for the progressive geek on the go. Or, if you want to hang out with just the three of us individually, aw shucks, you can find us all on Twitter. Uh, I, D, D is at Jose Next Door, Alex is at The Aficionado, and Vry is at Writer Vry. And that's the show. Thank you again for your generous support. Keep fighting the good fight. And remember, they may be private parts, but they can also be pride parts. Thank you, Suji Sensei. You're a gift.